afternoon and thank you for joining us. My name is Robin Maggio and I'd like to welcome you to our webcast, What Everyone Should Know About ADHD with Dr. Edward Hallowell. Today's webcast is part of Chad's National Resource Center on ADHD's Ask the Expert series. The NRC, a program of CHAD, is funded by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and provides reliable science-based information about current medical research and ADHD management. It is a pleasure to introduce today's guest expert, Dr. Hallowell. Dr. Hallowell is a child and adult psychiatrist, a New York Times bestselling author, world-renowned speaker, and leading authority in the field of ADHD. He is a graduate of Harvard College and Tulane Medical School and the founder of the Hallowell Centers in Boston Metro West, Massachusetts, New York City, San Francisco, California, and Seattle, Washington. He has authored 20 books on various psychological topics, including Attention Deficit Disorder, The Power of the Human Connection, The Childhood Roots of Happiness in Life, Methods of Forgiving Others, Dealing with Worry and Managing Excessive Busyness. You can learn more about Dr. Hallowell at his website, www.drhallowell.com. Again, we are very pleased to welcome today's guest expert, Dr. Hallowell. Dr. Hallowell, if you'd like to begin. What is ADHD? And, and you know, the term attention deficit hyperactivity disorder is such a terrible term. Uh, it's not a deficit. If anything, it's an abundance um, and I don't see it as a disorder, but rather a trait. If you manage it right, it becomes an asset. If you don't, it's a terrible disorder. But it makes it so interesting because uh, uh, it's uh, it's really a condition that can help you or, or really hurt you. The symptoms we tend to see, um, you can be uh, 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 quiet, daydreamy, lost in your thoughts. You can be hyperactive, impulsive. Um, uh, and and I would just say, turn those on their heads, and and you get positives. You know the the classic triad, what Russ Barkley calls the holy trinity of ADD: distractibility, impulsivity, and hyperactivity. Well, turn distractibility on its head. What do you get? Curiosity, and that's a real positive. Turn impulsivity on its head. What do you get? Creativity. You don't plan to have a creative thought. You don't say it's 10 o'clock and lay it like an egg, you know. Uh, creative thoughts come unbidden. They pop. Uh, they depend upon some degree of disinhibition or impulsivity, if you will. Hyperactivity, you get to be my age. I'm 66. It's called energy. So, the, you know, again, there's a positive to the negatives, and that's, again, what makes this so interesting. Uh, girls can certainly have it, and they are often not diagnosed because they're not disruptive. They tend not to be uh, calling attention to themselves. They're the, as the little girl on the slide, they're sitting in the back of the room, you know, staring out the window, thinking long and interesting thoughts. Um, uh, but they get dismissed as shy, quiet, not very bright, and nothing could be further from the truth. So the the big uh, undiagnosed group are girls and women, adult women almost never get diagnosed. They get diagnosed as depressed instead, and, and, and that's a shame because uh, the treatment for depression may help a little bit, but it won't nearly help uh, as well as the full-blown treatment for ADD could. Uh, now, the question, is it overdiagnosed? Sure. There are places where it is overdiagnosed, where anybody who twitches is called ADHD. Uh, but then there are places where it's underdiagnosed, you know, where... Uh, people, quote-unquote, don't believe in it. 
And, you know, what I say to them, look, this is not a religious principle. It's not a matter of believing in it or, in it or not. It's a matter of looking at the scientific evidence. And that's very, very clear. This is a real condition with a biological basis and and uh, <clears throat> is is carried pretty much genetically. And this is this is the part that usually doesn't get mentioned, the positive qualities. What are the positive qualities we see with ADD? And 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 again, you know, th this is why it's so important to uh, emphasize, you know, in in treatment that we're we're not just dealing with a disorder; we're dealing with a condition that has these wonderful positives: the creativity, intuition, originality, persistent, often to the point of being stubborn. Uh, charismatic, you have a special sauce, you have a, a winning way about you, a twinkle in your eye. Uh, you know, you're, you, these, these, these kids and these adults are, are really uh, the, the people who, who liven up any group and, and who break the ice and, and who say what everyone else is thinking but not saying. Uh, and they're the game changers. You know, the man who founded JetBlue, uh, David Nealman, has big-time ADD. He invented the electronic ticket. And, he said it just came to him, you know, and then he suddenly saw a, a different way. Um, many of the innovators, inventors, Thomas Edison was a classic ADD. The current CEO of AOL, the man who's turning that company around, Tim Armstrong, has it. And, and uh, uh, on and on, I could name you leaders in, in every field who have this, what I think of as a trait. I have it myself, not to say I'm, uh, you know, <laughs> on, the, on the lines of uh, Thomas Edison, but but I, you know, I am in my own way a creative, and and uh, uh, you know, I, I attribute that to to this kind of mind, if you will, to this uh, trait that we so misleadingly call ADHD. Someday we'll come up with a better better name for it. The model I use is, is the having ADD is is like having a, a race car for a brain, a Ferrari for a brain, uh, but with bicycle brakes. And, and, you know, I tell folks, don't worry, I'm a brake specialist. And as we strengthen those brakes, you're going to win races. Uh, it takes time. It takes really many years to learn how to control the power of your brain. And, and that's really what treatment is all about, learning how to control the awesome power of the ADD mind. Another analogy I use, having ADD sort of analogous to Niagara Falls. It's just a lot of noise and mist until you build a hydroelectric plant. And then you light up the state of New York, and, and I like to think I'm in the hydroelectric plant business, helping these children and adults tap into the awesome power that they carry with them all the time, and, and again, just learning how to control that. Uh, trouble focusing, and, and this is often misunderstood because people with ADD can hyper-focus when they're interested. Now, people say, well, he couldn't have ADD. He can hyper-focus when he's playing a video game, or he can hyper-focus when he's doing Legos, or he can hyper-focus uh, anything that he's really interested in, or she. Uh, people with ADD have this capacity to hyper-focus, but when they're not interested, their mind simply goes elsewhere. The ADD mind is like a toddler on a picnic. It goes wherever curiosity uh, leads it, with no regard for danger or authority. You know, so it's always wandering off into potentially dangerous realms. And that's where the help with the brakes uh, is important. Trouble with getting organized, prioritizing, following through, so-called executive function. And uh, Tom Brown has done a lot of, done a lot of important work uh, 
elucidating, uh, really seeing ADD really as a, basically a condition of uh, trouble with executive function, trouble with organizing, trouble with prioritizing, trouble with following through. And, and uh, uh, this can be trained. See, the good news is the downside of ADD, we can help, we can train. The upside, you can't buy or teach creativity, originality, you know, you, you, just, you just can't. Uh, and the downside, we can help with. And the same thing with social cues. People have, like they can have trouble reading, they can have trouble reading social cues. But, but again, that can be trained. Family dinner is a great place to train that. Every classroom is a great place to train that. Uh, so, so, you know, again, it, it does take time and effort. It doesn't come naturally to the world of ADD, but it can be learned, can be taught. I really learned how to, what I needed to get through medical school in terms of executive function. I learned in the sixth grade with my amazing math teacher who just made a big deal about uh, details and, and paying attention to details, but he didn't do it in a, in a drudgery, punishing way. He made a game out of it, uh, which then I could jump into and enjoy. Okay, so what does treatment include? And of course, it begins with diagnosis. Uh, you know, you you you. you the, the the best way to make a diagnosis, most people don't know this, is by taking a careful history. We do not have a test for ADD. People say, well, I was tested. Well, there is no test. There are many tests we can give that are very helpful, but by far the most important test is your history. As taken from the individual, in the case of children, parents, and school teachers, and in the case of adults, spouse, or significant others. You need to have several sources of the information, largely because people with ADD are not good self-observers. So a careful history going back uh, over time, uh, if, the, if ADD is present, it will show up in the history for sure. Um, and if it's not present, it won't be there. Now, if you, if you do see the evidence of ADD, you can supplement that history with neuropsychological testing, which is wonderfully helpful. Um, it's not essential if if you can't afford it. You can just make the diagnosis on on history alone. But if you can't afford it, it, it always adds valuable information. Then the next step is education, uh, learning what it is and and what it isn't, uh, learning how to uh, learning how to take advantage of the upside and not feel ashamed of the downside. Um, uh, you know, it, it's uh, uh, it, it's often the, the struggle in, in the world of ADD simply to prop up your self-esteem. But if but if you if you learn about ADD the way you should, then that will become far less of a problem because you'll you'll know you're just trying to strengthen faulty breaks, and 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 so that that education step is critical in terms of to recruiting the enthusiasm and motivation to put in the, the work required for the rest of the treatment. Changes in lifestyle, you know, sleep, diet, exercise, meditation, and then getting regular doses of positive human contact, what I call the other vitamin C, vitamin connect. You should build that into every day, much as possible. Adding structure, and this is where a coach can help, um, someone to help you develop a system for Remembering things, organizing things, managing time, managing money as you get older. Uh, all of the executive functioning can, can really be helped with a coach. Parents and spouses can do that, but it's not such a good idea because the nag factor gets in the way. So it's really it's better if you can work with a coach. Uh, 
psychotherapy may be helpful or other kinds of counseling in terms of family problems, couples issues, uh, individual issues around self-esteem. All of that can be really helped with, with psychotherapy. There are other specialized therapies that, you know, that come out from time to time. There's a new uh, thing called the attentive system that I think is very promising, A-T-E-N-T-I-V. You can, you can uh, Google that and, and learn more about it. And then, of course, medication, and that's the, that's the intervention that is the most famous and also the most misunderstood. Fact of the matter is medication, when used properly, is very safe and very effective. Um, when it's used improperly, it's dangerous, but that's true of pretty much every medication. Uh, uh, so you want to see a doctor who knows what he's doing. In the hands of the right doctor, uh, medication will work about 80% of the time. That's a pretty good batting average. And by work, I mean you get target symptom improvement with no, underline, no side effects other than appetite suppression without unwanted weight loss. That goal is achievable about 80% of the time. So, so uh, make sure you see a doctor who has a lot of experience with these, with these meds. When they work, they're a godsend. When they work, they're like eyeglasses. You know, they, they really make a dramatic difference in your life. So it, it's, it's, it's worth exploring and taking the time to find the right medication. A trial of medication is not simple. You don't just say, take this pill and see if it helps. You have to adjust dose. You have to adjust which medication you're trying. Some meds work for some people. Other meds work for other people. And you really can't tell in advance which medication is going to help which person. So, again, work with a doctor who really knows what he's doing or she's doing, and, and you'll get the, the outstanding result that is certainly possible. Can people outgrow ADHD? No, in my opinion, no. What happens is you can learn to compensate so well that it looks as if you don't have it. Um, that's sort of what happened to me. Most people think, you know, you couldn't have ADD. Well, uh, I do. And if you want proof of that, just talk to my wife. So, um, uh, uh, you know, it, 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 is, it, it is something that you can learn to compensate so well that you can achieve at a very high level. But in, in my opinion, you, you, you do not outgrow it. You simply learn to compensate very well for it. Medication, as I said, used properly, it's like eyeglasses, and they should have no more side effects than eyeglasses. You know, <laughs> eyeglasses change your appearance, so they don't even meds don't even have that side effect. But again, they usually do cut your appetite, so that's the one side effect that I'll tolerate, as long as you don't lose a lot of weight. If you lose too much weight, you got to stop the medication. Is ADD on the rise or ADHD? I still call it ADD because that was the term when I learned about it in 1981. Then they stuck the H in there just to confuse people. Is it on the rise? Uh, it's hard to say. I mean, I, I think modern life is ADD-ogenic. So there are a lot of people who think they have ADD who really just have a severe case of modern life. But then there are other people who do have it and for whatever reason reject the notion and don't get the help they could get. And that's a crying shame because this diagnosis is a life changer. Uh, an absolute life changer. So, uh, um, uh, you know, and, and, and if, if you can just check it out, just make sure you go to see the right doctor because uh, your career can be saved, your school career can be saved, your marriage can be saved. Things just get better. The strength-based approach in terms of new developments 
this is what I just think is so critically important, that we take this condition out of the realm of, of purely pathology and say, look, it's a kind of unique condition in, in the world of mental health because it has these tremendous positives as well as these tremendous negatives. If you don't manage it right, it's a, it's a horrible curse. But if you do manage it right, it can take you to the very top. And, and that, that framework you know, gets rid of stigma, gets rid of, you know, a lot of people say, I don't want to tell anyone I have ADD because they'll think I'm unreliable or that I'm wacko or that I'm weird, you know, and, and, and that's, just, that's just terrible because uh, it means you can't even talk about it and you can't even explain it. So we, we really need to replace the deficit-based medical model with a strength-based model, certainly still within the frame of, of medical research and thinking, but not saturated with pathology. Instead, uh, balanced, which is accurate, uh, with strengths and weaknesses. And, and my job is to maximize the strengths and minimize the damage done by the weaknesses, which is absolutely uh, a doable thing. ADHD in adults, you know, that's the big undiagnosed group. So it's not just kids anymore. You know, it's it's men and women. And uh, some of my most dramatic improvements have come from adults who come to see me. Uh, uh, with final thoughts, I guess I'd uh, uh, wrap up by, by saying, you know, it's time for this condition to be recognized as a widespread uh, trait. And and if it's getting in your way in life, you should get help regardless of how successful you are. Uh, you shouldn't be afraid of it. You shouldn't be ashamed of it. We need to get rid of that deficit-based, stigmatizing model and instead say this is a condition associated with some of the most successful people in the world, which is absolutely true. Uh, and and uh, before I die, I hope we can get to that point. Well, I want to stop talking before I die, so let me let me stop here and entertain whatever questions you might have. Great. Thank you so much, Dr. Hollowell. That was some wonderful information, and we already have a number of questions that have come in. All right, so to jump right in, um, we have one question that is, if you have ADHD, do you automatically have executive function weaknesses? Yes. Uh, you know, the, this whole executive function came into play, and, and I think it's confused people. Part of the diagnostic description of ADD includes problems with focusing and organizing. So they go hand in hand. It's like you can't have you can't have depression without sadness, you know. And, and so so it's it's, uh, it's part of the part of the condition is uh, some challenge around planning, organizing, prioritizing, managing time and money, and so forth. Great, thank you. What about, is there a link between creativity, ADHD, and giftedness? And we had a teacher uh, who was asking sort of about those links and how you might sort of break out those different characteristics and traits in a student. Well, you know, I think there is. Again, this is something people debate, but it's just I've seen so many times, and at Schools for the Gifted, you'll find ADHD, ADD overrepresented. Among highly creative people, you'll see it represented. Among you know, these dynamic entrepreneurs, you'll see it overrepresented. So the kid who just, you know, finds school boring, you know, not because he doesn't want to learn, but because this, the the pace is too slow and the material is too easy, 
you know, you see a lot of these very high IQ, you know, very creative kids just just kind of getting tuned out in, in school, and then they become discipline problems because they want to stir up some trouble because they're so bored. So, yeah, giftedness and ADHD, in my opinion, do go hand in hand. Now, Russ Barkley, whom I love and respect, would take issue with that, say, where's your data? And is usually the case with me, my data is anecdotal. You know, it's just what I've seen over and over and over again. But I'm not going to not say it simply because I haven't done a randomized controlled study. You know, like I'll, I'll report what I see. Uh, I'll, I'll always yield to people who have data that refutes me. And um, uh, but uh, and Russ is a you know just a incredible, wonderful, great man in terms of what he's done to put ADHD on the map. But uh, in my experience, what I've seen, most of the people who have this condition are unusually creative, uh, unusually gifted, if you will. And I, I often say, you know, my job is not to treat disabilities, it's to unwrap gifts, and that's what I'm in the business of doing. Great, thank you. Um, what about, we have a question here, somebody asked, myth or truth, does coffee help ADHD? Yeah, that's my medication. Uh, the, the, the prescribed medications uh, don't work for me. They just call, cause side effects. But... Um, uh, uh, coffee works well. Okay, thank you. What about, I think we have a lot of parents who have joined us today, and we had someone who asked, um, do you have any suggestions for how to explain to your child that they have ADHD? Oh, yes, indeed. Uh, that's where the race car brain with the bicycle brakes works so well. Just say to him, look, You've got good news and bad news. You've got this amazing brain. You are really gifted. You've got so much going for you. You've got power. You've got energy. You've got a really fast brain, a, a race car for a brain. Your problem is your brakes don't work that well. So you've got bicycle brakes. And but don't worry, don't worry. Uh, we there are brake specialists out there, like this guy Hallowell and, and many others, who can who can help you uh, strengthen your brakes. And if you do, then you're a champion in the making. See, then that's the message to impart. You know, you're a you're a champion in the making, not you have some crippling condition that is going to hold you back. Great, thank you. Um, what about we had another question? Someone was asking, can concussion damage look like ADHD? Absolutely, absolutely. Head injury can look exactly like it, and uh, sometimes that happens at birth with a difficult delivery and anoxia at birth, uh, uh, but yes, concussions uh, can lead to a syndrome that looks exactly like ADHD. Okay, great. We have um, some questions that have come in about ADHD children in school. Um, in your opinion, have you seen that ADHD teen, teens with ADHD potentially do better with cyber school? Have you ever seen that? Potentially, but I, I'd proceed very cautiously because, uh, uh, you know, I'm such a fan of the human moment. You know, what you lose when you replace a human with a screen, you lose a lot. So, you know, and I don't mean to sound like a fuddy-duddy and a Luddite and all that kind of stuff. I just think, uh, gosh, what you give up when you replace a, a human environment with a screen environment is an awful lot. Now, used selectively, sure. 
You want to take an elective in minerals or something. You want to take an elective in predicting the weather. Sure, take an online course, you know, have a cyber school. But have it be for electives. Have it not be the main the main meal. The main meal, I think, should be uh, taught by humans with you sitting next to humans. Now, maybe I'll be obsolete. Maybe in the next few generations we won't even have things called schools. It's hard for me to imagine how humans, though, would thrive in that environment because we are wired to be social. We so thrive on connection. And honestly, I think one of the big, huge, screaming social problems that nobody talks about is that you know we are so connected electronically in this era, we're disconnecting interpersonally. And I think we're paying a huge price for that we're not even aware of. I call it a vitamin C deficiency. It's vitamin connect deficiency. We don't get enough smiles and hugs and positive words. Instead, we're living in a state of fear, relative isolation, of anxiety, you know, the PC police are out there at every turn, you know, you don't dare say anything, do anything. That's not good. That's really not good for any of us. And, um, uh, you know, we need to be able to spread our wings and fly in this world instead of treading cautiously at every turn. You know, so, so I think we need to bring back what I call the human moment and not populate our world with more screens. We have enough screens. We, we now, now we need to learn how to use them selectively, use them to our advantage so they don't use us. I mean, it's sort of like the night of the living dead. You know, we're, we're being invaded by screens and taking over and taking over. And you really do see people that's happening to. We, it began as a joke, the crackberry. Now it's anything but a joke. There are people literally addicted to screens. And they're like zombies. You know, you, you can't interact with them. They lose their spontaneity. They lose their joie de vivre. They lose their sense of humor. They're, they're these sort of zombified, you know, sitting down, looking down, texting, emailing, you know, and, and, and it, it's, a, it's a big problem. So to me, we don't need more screens. We need, you know, courses on the selective use of screens to enrich our lives rather, rather, than, rather than zombify us. Great. Thank you. Um, what about a, we have a, a parent who has an older, older daughter, um, a college-age daughter who was diagnosed with ADHD in high school, um, but she doesn't believe she has ADHD. Um, any tips for parents with maybe teens or um, kind of children that are getting a little older, moving out of, moving out of the nest, and uh, sort of how you can still support them and help them? Well, if you don't think you have it, uh, and you do have it, the usual reason is you don't understand what it means to have it, or you're, or you're afraid of what having it implies. You're afraid that uh, people will think you're stupid or unreliable, and you don't want any part of that, for good reason. Who, who, would, who would want any part of that? So, so you know, what, what, what you need to do is sit down and talk with your daughter, or have someone other than you, a professional, sit down and explain it, destigmatize it, you know, uh, uh, present it in the terms where, you know, your daughter can embrace it and be glad to have it. I mean, when, you know, my three kids all have it, and they're all very pleased they have it, you know, and, and that's the way you should be. And I wouldn't trade my ADD for the world, you know, I think it's it's my leg up, you know, it's make it's what gives me the 
special sauce that makes my life uh, interesting. And, and uh, you know, not to say that everyone should have it, but uh, if you do happen to have it, you, you want to learn how to turn it into an asset and not have it be a terrible curse, because it, it certainly can be if, if you don't deal with it properly. It can indeed be a terrible curse. Thank you. Um, we're going to change topics now. We have a number of questions that have actually come in about um, medications and just sort of clarifying questions. So can anxiety be a side effect of ADHD medications? It can be, but more likely it's in the other direction. Anxiety can be a side effect of untreated ADD. A lot of people are anxious and or depressed because their ADD hasn't been treated. So when you get on ADD medications, often the anxiety disappears and the depression disappears. Now, it is true that in some cases, stimulant medication can cause anxiety. And if that happens, you either lower the dose or discontinue it altogether. Okay, thank you. Also, at, at what age can children start taking um, medication for ADD? Well, medically speaking, there's no real early uh, age. I don't prescribe it in kids under five. Uh, you could, and the American Academy of Pediatrics has approved it in four-year-olds. So I don't think anyone would, I mean, anyone in their right mind would give it to a toddler to a two-year-old. But uh, but uh, five years old is, is my cutoff point. I use behavioral interventions prior to that. And, and in fact, I don't even have any five-year-olds on it. So uh, usually first grade, six years old is, is when I start kids on medication. You also spoke about how medication is 80% effective, and so someone was asking, what about the 20% of the population where medication is not effective? Welcome to my world. I'm one of those 20%, and uh, I, as I said, my medication is, is caffeine, is coffee. Uh, you can do just fine without stimulant medication. That's you know, It's not like insulin where you have to have it. If you're lucky enough that it helps, it's great. But don't think if it doesn't help, that means you're going to get a suboptimal response. But you do have to take the non-medication interventions very seriously. So you do have to get regular exercise and not just pretend. You know, you do have to pay attention to sleep, getting enough sleep. You really do have to stay away from junk food and sugar and additives and take nutrition seriously. You really, really should learn meditation and then do it every day. Do it twice a day. Meditate for five or ten minutes twice a day. I mean, there's studies show that works on a par with medication. And then, you know, the, as you get older, the, you know, uh, marry the right person, find the right job, you know, that makes, makes a big difference. And don't forget what I said earlier about positive human contact from as early an age as possible. New information showing how failure to attach, early attachment problems, lifelong consequences. But that also means that attaching well and getting a lot of love, lifelong benefits. I mean, love is the greatest tonic we've got. So make sure you get daily doses of the other vitamin C, vitamin Connect. Make sure you get daily doses of that. So the, the non-medication treatments, if you take them seriously, and then coaching as well, I left that out, very, very important. The non-medication treatments are hugely, hugely, hugely uh, helpful and and uh, make a tremendous difference if you take them seriously. So, you know, uh, medication, you, you don't have to be one of the 80% where medication helps to get optimal results. Great, thank you. 
Um, one, one more. How about um, how long does it take for medication for someone to know if it's working or not? Uh, about 20 minutes. And people with ADD don't like to wait, so these meds work right away. And um, not quite as fast as coffee, but pretty close. Now, it can take weeks, even months, to get on the right dose of the right medicine on the right dosing schedule. So, uh, but, it, but to get a quick read on is it going to help you or not, give a, a, a given medication at a given dose, it's in your system working within about 20 minutes. Great. Thank you. Um, changing topics again, we have actually a number of questions people are asking about substance abuse and ADHD. Um, yeah. Do you have any insights to offer um, into that topic? Yeah. Uh, you're at risk. If you have ADD, you're at risk for any kind of compulsive or addictive behavior, be it substances, alcohol, marijuana, cocaine, heroin, opioids. You're at much greater risk if you have ADD. And behavioral addictions, the, the one that's leading the pack now is screens. You know, that was a joke. It's no longer a joke. So screen addiction, gambling addiction, sex addiction, the Internet has spawned a, what some people call a tsunami of, of uh, gambling and, and sex problems. And, and, um, um, so, and shopping and spending also. I mean, you know, the number of people who just wander onto Amazon and spend and spend on a daily basis, you know. So so uh you got to watch out for that. And and uh you know, it, it's uh, uh it's again the race car brain with bicycle brakes. You really need to strengthen those brakes and know that you are at risk if you're going to drink, you really learn the skill of moderation. Uh if you're going to smoke pot and whether it's legal or not, that's another question, but um if you're in a place where it's legal, make sure you watch how much you smoke because see it over and over again. I mean, the drug I fear most in the world of ADD is pot because people people just, that's all they want to do is smoke pot. And, uh, you know, that that's a problem. Uh, so watch out. You're, you're genetically wired uh, to be more susceptible to substance abuse and uh, compulsive habits, and the ones that lead the list are screens, sex, gambling, and shopping. Uh, and and then again, work with someone to learn the, the the muscles of moderation. It's like developing a set of muscles, of breaks, if you will. And uh, it's, it's a matter of life and death often. Thank you. I think that helped clarify some questions that we had come up. Um, I'd actually like to switch topics to adults with ADHD. I think we have a number of adults that are listening in today as well. So we have a person who was diagnosed as an adult and is struggling with how to tell their parents and family. Um, do you have any suggestions for an adult disclosing their ADHD diagnosis? Well, you know, this shouldn't be something that's fraught with shame. You know, and, and if you want to break the ice, give them one of my books, uh, Delivered from Distraction, would be a good one to start with. But you just go in and say, Mom, Dad, I have great news for you. <laughs> I have an explanation for where why I've struggled, and I have a plan so I can struggle a lot less. And this treatment is sort of like going, you've been driving on square wheels, and now I'm going to drive on round wheels. So it's good news. Things can only get better. Uh, and you've you got to approach it that way. Guess what, Mom, Dad? And, and, and if anything, Mom, Dad will end up feeling, oh, gee, I'm really sorry we didn't do it sooner. Um, because th this is a good news diagnosis. When you find out you have it, things can only get better. 
and say to your mom and dad, you know, remember how much I struggled in sixth grade? Remember how much I struggled in high school or whatever it is? Well, it wasn't because I was lazy and it wasn't because I didn't care and, and it wasn't even because I was smoking pot. Uh, all of that can be understood through the lens of ADD. And now I understand the cause of it. I'm not a bad person. I'm a good person. I have a wiring difference. And I'm going to get the help I need so I can achieve at the level I should. And that's how you should present it, with enthusiasm. Thank you. That's a really great suggestion, the positive takes. Um, and what about how can adults build social connections? We have that question a lot, social skills, social connections. Uh, well, just join groups and, you know, go to groups where you, you feel at home, maybe a gym, maybe a church, synagogue, maybe a, a club, maybe whatever it might happen to be, join groups where, where you feel comfortable. And don't let the social media become your form of connection. That That's such a weak substitute for human connection. Great, thanks. We also often get the question, where to find an experienced psychiatrist for adults? Um, we have people all the time that have struggle finding somebody who specializes in adult ADHD. Well, it ain't easy. You know, so <laughs> if you live in San Francisco, Seattle, New York, or Boston, come see, come to one of my centers. Uh, otherwise, uh, go to the nearest medical school. Usually, the Department of Psychiatry at medical schools will have somebody who, uh, you know, has some experience with adults with ADD. It is imperative that you see someone who has experience because you can waste a lot of time and money and get treated for depression when that's not what you need, get treated for an anxiety disorder when that's not what you need, uh, and just not get the help that you do need if you don't see someone who has experience. So if you can't come to one of mine uh, or if you can't go to Sam Goldstein in Utah or Tom Brown in Yale or, you know, the, the people around who understand it, um, then go to the nearest medical school, the Department of Psychiatry. And you can always uh, send me a, an email. You know, I'm not hard to reach. It's drhallowell at gmail.com, just dr, no period, drhallowell at gmail.com. And I, I answer all my own emails. If I don't get back to you, just send me a follow-up email saying, hey, buddy, get off your butt and answer my email. Because, you know, I have ADD and I overlook things. Great. Thank you. Just, we have a number of questions that are still coming in. Um, we A lot of follow-up questions have come in to you talking about breaking screen addiction. Um, mm -hmm. Would you mind taking a minute to just talk a little more about that and maybe giving parents um, tips to help their children um, break break those habits? Sure. It, 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 it's not only children who need help with it, it's adults as well. You know, so approach it as a family issue. Sit down with your kids and say, well, now we live in the world of screens, and they're tempting for all of us. They're sort of like ice cream or, you know, think of something you really love. Uh, and, and really, we can't live without screens, so the model of abstinence doesn't work. The model that, that is most relevant is food. So you know, we all have to work on not eating too much, and we have to work on eating right, and we don't want to have too many sweets and all that kind of stuff. Well, the same thing with screens. You don't want to spend too much time on sites that are really not good for you. You don't want to uh, waste time on screens. And, and, you know, so it's like learning to eat right. And uh, uh, and if you don't, does damage. Does damage to your brain. Does damage to your body. You're sedentary. You're, you know, wasting time. You're not doing other things. 
but approach it as a family issue because mom and dad, believe me, mom and dad struggle with it too. Uh, this is something that is a equal opportunity offender, you know. So it's not related to how old you are, how smart you are, where you went to school, anything like that. It's it's just it's part of the. You just walk out on the street. You go into any airport. Go anywhere, and people have got their little screens out and they're texting. And um, so you know, so it's something that we all need to work together as a nation, family by family, school by school, business by business. Uh, uh, you know, and 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 we have to learn those muscles of moderation, and then that's just how you have to approach it. You know that that there there's no medication for this whatsoever, and and uh, there's no quick fix any more than there is for losing weight. Uh, there, there's no bariatric surgery. Well, the closest thing to a surgical solution is just to take the damn things away. And sometimes you have to do that. There are actually inpatient treatment centers where you can go get your screen addiction treated and you will have no access to screens and people literally go into withdrawal. You can do a mini version of that at home and I recommend it, sort of have a screen-free weekend as a family. And Saturday morning you'll protest and cry and scream. Come Sunday night you'll say, wow, that was just wonderful. That was serene. We actually talked to each other. We weren't interrupted. We weren't looking down. Um, you know, we actually had a picnic. We actually went for a walk with the dog. We actually went and visited Grandma. We we did things we haven't done in so long. Uh, just try a screen-free weekend, and, and believe me, you'll protest mightily as to why you shouldn't, and your kids will as well. But join in the effort. Make it a family effort. Uh, let's now learn how to use screens so they don't use us, and that's that's the model. Put yourself back in control. Or the screen will control you. Believe me, it, it's it's like a jar of M&Ms. You just absently reach for it the minute you have a moment of boredom. And the next thing you know, you're fat on M&Ms. Well, this your your brain is is fat on screens, and it's uh, it's something you really need to take seriously. It is no longer a joke. I think it's the leading cause of of wasted time and missed opportunities and in and, and, and substandard performance in the in the world today certainly in this country today is inability to manage screen time and and just great gobs of time wasted and then if you throw in the chance for uh, sex problems developing or gambling problems developing or shopping problems developing all facilitated by screens then the problem gets even worse so take it seriously uh, address it as a family own it yourself as the parent that I'm susceptible to. My brain has the same dopamine circuitry that your brain has, son or daughter. And let's tackle this together. Let's encourage each other. Let's have our screen-free dinners when we, you know, as much as we don't want to, we turn them off, T-I-O, magical letters, turn it off. And we sit and talk to each other. Imagine that, talk to each other instead of texting our friend next door. Uh, reclaim what I call the human moment. Reclaim the human moment. Don't give your life away to the electronic moment. Now, I'm not a Luddite. I love these screens. I love them. Believe me. Uh, we're doing this uh, webinar with the benefit of screens. So, so I, you know, I'm, I'm in no way saying get rid of them and go, you know, join the Amish or the Amish. I don't know how you pronounce it. But, but I am saying, I am saying. If you don't want your life to be rendered superficial and flabby and and just nothing like what you want, then you've got to build those muscles of moderation around screens. And you can do it, but it does take intention. It does take effort. 
And the, by the way, the best way to achieve anything is as a group rather than as an individual. So group together as a family or as a business or as, you know whatever your organization is and commit to uh, developing these muscles of moderation. Give yourself a screen-free weekend, maybe have a, a screen-free chunk of every day, maybe between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m., no screens, or you pick the time. And certainly, certainly in the bedroom, uh, don't go to sleep with your screen. Don't let your kids go to sleep with your screen. Don't let you go to sleep with your screen. Uh, these are just basic tips, but if you if you follow them, you can master this. This is a global problem, but you can have local solutions. Unlike, say, global warming, where we need policies to change, this is one where we can make our own policies. We don't have to wait for the politicians to line up. We can make our own policies, enact our own procedures, and really change our lives in a wonderful way. I, I'm telling you, you do this, you'll feel so refreshed. You'll feel so less frantic. You'll feel so much more zesty and involved and engaged in life uh, simply by mastering the art of, of taking charge of screens and not letting them take charge of you. Thank you. Um, a couple of additional questions. We have 10 minutes or so left. Um, so what about, uh, somebody was asking, are, what are the typical comorbid um, conditions that might occur with ADHD? Well, I don't like the term comorbid, although you're quite right, that is the standard term, uh, because I don't think ADD is morbid, you know, so I like the term coexisting conditions. The two most common are depression and anxiety, but most of the time they occur in the wake of the untreated ADD. So when you get your ADD treated, most often, the anxiety, supposed anxiety disorder and depression disappear because you're doing better and you're more in control. And anxiety is related to feeling not in control and depression is related to doing poorly. So, so those are the two most common and they're often addressed simply by treating the ADD. Others that uh, certainly uh, are not uncommon, substance abuse we already mentioned. Risk is much higher in the world of ADD than in the general population. Uh, Post-traumatic stress disorder, a lot of people with ADD have been traumatized because, number one, they're provocative, and number two, their caretakers are more likely genetically to have impulse problems, and so they can, they can be you know, prone to be abusive. And so it's a, it's a setup for, for abuse and, and PTSD. Um, uh, just general underachieving, that's not a condition, if you will, but it's, it's probably the most common reason that brings people to me, unexplained underachievement. You're not doing as well in school as your brain power would warrant. You're not doing as well in your job as your talents would warrant. You're not doing as well in your marriage as you're, you know you should. Uh, you name it, you're, you're not where you ought to be. And, and, and so that's probably the most common uh, coexisting co condition. And then there are others, you know, occur at a, at a re far less common rate, uh, OCD, uh, autism spectrum, uh, and uh, I don't know if I've left something out. The rate of suicide, unfortunately, is higher in the ADD population than in the general population uh, because most suicides are impulsive, and, and that's what happens. Uh, divorce is higher. Uh, unemployment is higher. So, you know, all these... All these negatives are higher, but if you if you take charge of it, as Russ Barkley's title says, "Taking Charge of ADHD," a wonderful book. If you take charge of it, you can get uh, you can you can get the kind of result you you deserve and are looking for. 
Great, thank you. Um, going back to some of those complementary treatments and the non-medication um, treatments you were talking about earlier, we had several questions about diets, um, what you're eating and avoiding certain foods. Are there things out there that work with regards to a specific diet? Well, the closer you can come to vegan, the better. And, uh, you know, I'm nowhere near vegan. I love my cheese. I love my meat. I love my fish. You know, I love my wine. So uh, I am not able to practice what I preach. But the the studies, you know, the China study, the best study ever done, uh, the vegan is the healthiest diet. So if you want to uh, the closer you can come to that, the better. So begin by eliminating the things we know are bad for you. Uh, junk food, sugar, anything that comes in a package or a tube, um, you know, uh, processed foods, you know. So if you can begin by eliminating them, then obviously illicit drugs and all that. Uh, uh, and then start to inch in on having more leafy vegetables. The more you can eat of fruits and vegetables, the better. And, uh, you know, try to get grains, uh, uh, try to stay away from uh, red meat. You know, some is okay, but try to keep it to a minimum. Um, you know, fish uh, is, is healthier for you. Uh, in terms of supplements, I do recommend omega-3 fatty acids. The brand I recommend is Omega Bright, O-M-E-G-A hyphen B-R-I-T-E. And uh, I've been taking those myself for, for ages. Omega Bright is now, by the way, a sponsor of my podcast. I want to plug that again, Distraction, and go to iTunes and download Distraction Podcast. Um, and I'm not saying, I'm not plugging Omega Bright because they're sponsoring. Uh, they're sponsoring because they know I'm a fan of Omega Bright. I've been using that brand for a long time, ever since they came into existence. Um, so fish oil is, is a good supplement. Uh, vitamin D is a, is a good supplement. Most Americans are, are low in vitamin D. Uh, B-complex, nobody would argue with that. Uh, how much bang for your buck you'll get, that's up for grabs. And then you, you can really amuse yourself by Googling supplements and you'll get reasonable arguments for any number of others, uh, any number of others. And there are people who are making a fortune by touting these various supplements. I, at one point, I tried them all just as an experiment, or I tried as many as I could find. And, and what I concluded was, if nothing else, I had the most expensive urine in Boston. So I, I, I don't know. The, the, the story is still being written, and, and I think the day will come when we really do have a nutritional solution, not only to ADHD, but to all manner of, of medical conditions. All right, great, thank you. I, we're going to do two more questions. So first one is we haven't asked anything, I haven't asked you anything about coaches. So we did have um, a question come in. What should somebody look for in an ADHD coach? Well, you want to, number one, someone you can get along with, uh, someone you like. And uh, number two, someone who is convenient. In other words, if you want to do it on the phone, someone who does it on the phone. If you want someone to come to you, someone who will come to you. Um, and number three, someone who has experience. Uh, so someone you like, someone who's convenient, someone who has experience. And you can Google ADHD coaches and you'll get a lot of them. So sort them out using those three variables. Um, a, a good coach-client relationship is incredibly helpful. Incredibly helpful. I mean, uh, uh, so many entrepreneurs, you know, are one one good coach away from... Uh, uh, 
just tremendous improvement and success. Great, thank you. And somebody made my job really easy with this last question. He's asking, what is the single most significant thing you have done to manage your ADHD? What have I done? Yeah. Uh, marry the right person, find the right job. Uh, that That's magical. I mean, my wife Sue, my life changed dramatically for the better when we got married 28 years ago. And then my job, I've, I've essentially created my own job, which is what ADD people do. I'm, I have three jobs, basically. I'm a psychiatrist, I'm a writer, and I'm a speaker. And if I had to do any one of those full-time, I'd get bored. But the combination uh, creates like a strong rope. It's like three threads woven together. And, it, and, it's, and I love my work because of, because of that variety in the, in the room in there to innovate. All three of them, you can innovate. I innovate in the room with patients. I innovate what I'm doing right now as a speaker. I innovate. Writing books is all about innovation. Great. Thank you. Well, again, thank you so much, Dr. Hollowell, for your insights and suggestions today. Um, and I want to thank all of our participants for joining us as well. This concludes our webcast. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes so we can continue to bring great content to you. adults the fastest growing population to be diagnosed with ADHD? Is there such a thing as adult onset ADHD? Get answers to your questions at www.helpforadhd.org. That's www.help and the number 4 ADHD.org.